if you think about um, the privilege of having a conversation with God, how much anticipation builds in your heart. You know, I had a, a good friend of mine tell me that he had the opportunity to be in the same room with T.D. Jakes. And what a privilege it would be. You know, he said, he looked over and there was T.D. Jakes, and he said, before I knew what I was doing, my feet were walking toward him just because I wanted to have a conversation. He said, as I'm walking over there, I'm overwhelmed not trying, uh, trying to figure out what I'm going to ask. And he said, I got up and stood next to this man who he has great respect for. And he, he looked at him, and, and as he looked at him, he said, he doesn't even know what he said. He doesn't even think it made any sense. He was just making something up just so he could talk to T.D. Jakes. And he said, T.D. Jakes just kind of looked at him and shook his head a little bit like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he said a few things to him, and, and it was just such an honor. He was describing this to me, and I just thought, you know, I mean, have you, anybody ever lost your mind when you met somebody and you were overwhelmed uh, with the opportunity to visit and talk with them? We're about to have a conversation, personal conversation with God, and the way he designed for us to do that congregationally as a family under the anointing of our Father, the leadership of the Spirit, the power of his word. How much anticipation is in your heart? What does the Spirit want to say to you today? I just want you to, to know we're, we live in a society that's filled with great orators who bring insightful, motivational speeches in the framework of church. But my question is, are you having a conversation with God? That's the most important question. And at the end of my message today, I'm going to ask you, what did you learn at church today? What has God spoken to you today? So I want to prepare you for that question now that you'll really, Jesus said, you who have ears, hear. He was talking to people who had physical ears. So I'm saying that to you today. You who have ears, hear what the Spirit is saying. So Holy Spirit, you are rousing the warriors. You have not commissioned us and hired us to work as a workforce for you but you have adopted us as sons and daughters, and you are awakening something of a family dynamic within our hearts with God and with each other. And I pray, Lord, we would understand the essence of that is actually warfare. Our Father is the undefeated King of the universe. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to what you desire to say that will awaken a champion spirit within us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. So in this season, we're looking at what it is to be clothed with the armor of God. I started uh, the first week talking about the fact that we are in a fight. Uh, so it's so funny, anytime I share anything that happens to me of a negative persuasion, um, it's, I don't know, I guess because we're family, I, I'm not sure, but, but it really bothers people. Like when I, that first week when I shared that some punk kid, you know, punched me in the side of the face when I wasn't looking, I was sitting in that go-kart and uh, he and his buddies ran off before I could get up and do anything about it. I, it is funny to me how many of you contacted me that week and said, man, if I'd have been there, if I'd have been there, we'd have, we, you would have not been very Christ-like. That's what you would have done. <laughs> But that first week I talked about, we are in a fight. The worst thing about being in a fight is when you're in a fight and you don't know you're in a fight because you're about to get punched and not know where it came from. And it'll take you a while to come out of the stupor of confusion, being stunned, to even realize I've been punched. You'll probably be punched again. 
before you come out. So you need to understand we are in a fight. So let's pick up there, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, or one translation says the devil's strategies. Do you understand? You're in a fight. The devil has strategies set against you. Verse 12, our struggle. Anybody here struggle? It's a biblical thing, okay? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I just sense the Lord uh, pausing in that conversation. Our struggle, your struggle. Don't be surprised at the painful, fiery trials that you face, the struggles that you walk through. Anybody here work out with weights? It's the struggle that makes you strong. Come on, don't despise the struggle. Endure the struggle, anticipating you will be stronger as a result of the struggle you walk through. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It almost sounds like a a scary movie or something. This is not uh, theater. This is not you know, just some idea, abstract idea. This is reality. You're in a fight. You're in a fight. Wake up to the warfare that God has called you to be awakened to. You are in a fight. Your song is significant. Your worship is powerful. Your declaration of God's Word is important. Your prayers over your sons and daughters is significant. It has the power to break bondages off of their lives. I need your prayers. We need your prayers. Your applause hisses the enemy away. Your shout brings down walls. This is how we battle. This is how we fight. This is how we overcome. We are in a fight. That's where we began. Week two, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Paul is looking at a Roman soldier, and he's identifying the pieces of the armor. And that that second week, I talked about the fact none of us would look at a Roman soldier and start by identifying and explaining the belt of truth because the belt is hidden. It's this obscure component of the armor that is vitally important to every other piece of the armor. And Paul goes right to the middle of man, right to the core of man, right to the private parts of our lives with the truth of God's Word to say this is where warfare truly begins. This is where warriors are truly made, where they are securely fastened at the core of their being, the core of their existing with the truth of God. Verse 13 to 15, he continues, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're going to progress through the armor and understand these pieces little by little, but we went immediately to the belt of truth just as God went there. Then today, the breastplate of righteousness and how that ties into our peace, the sandals of peace. So when I think about relationship and relational order, I, you know, Rosalia is, uh, is on the front row here today, and, uh, and she's kind of watching me. That's kind of, we have somebody assigned to watch me in, in church because I am, I am uh, a very aware, overly aware. The, t- the team 
says I'm what they call hyper-focused sometimes. We've kind of learned each other. Isn't that what makes a great relationship? You learn each other. So I get hyper-focused. If there's something going on and, and, and it gets my attention, I get hyper-focused on it. And I really need to be focusing on what God wants to say. So, so the team actually assigns somebody to watch me. And if it looks like I'm hyper-focused, then they're asking questions, and then I, I'll say, oh, I was looking at that, and then they'll take care of it. I can get my focus. How many of you know I need therapy? I need all kinds of, of probably, uh, you know, Ritalin, if that would help. I don't even know what that does, but I probably need it. And so here I am, and, and Rosalie is on the front row. She's watching, and, 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 you know, we have this friendship relationship, and we've known each other for a while, and, and we, were, we were the first radical church uh, that she came and really jumped into, and and, and so, because we have a friendship, there's something of a certainty that I possess in my relationship with her. And so, I might say something like this as a result of our relationship. If I ever have any question, I might look at Rosalie and say something like this. Rosalie, are we good? We good. She, she gave me the nod. We good. Lee, are we good? We're good. We're good. Chrissy, we good? All right, let's talk afterward then. Can't be good with everybody. Are we good? It's a legitimate question, isn't it? And if Rosalia and I are good, then somebody comes to me and they say, hey, I heard Rosalia was saying this and saying that, and, and, I, and I would say, well, I'm not really sure she would say that because I'm pretty confident Rosalia and I are good. And where I'm driving at with this, we all need to understand because of Jesus, we are good. Now, the devil's going to try and come and tell you that God doesn't really like you. He doesn't really have a plan for you. He wants to do good things for other people, not you. Anybody heard this kind of conversation before? That spiritual warfare, you need to know we're good. Because yeah. if we're good, then all of the voices can be silenced. Come on, that's what matters. When we are good then I know his thoughts and his plans and his interests and his declarations over my life, and there's great strength that comes as a result. This is why righteousness and peace go hand in hand. Tracy and I love each other, have a great friendship, great marriage. It doesn't mean we don't have our moments. Anybody have your moments? We have very intense moments when we have moments because we're both very intense people, but we're good. It's very important that we are good. And the basis of that relationship is really remarkable when you start to evaluate and look at this. And, and I want you to understand that basis with you and God today. And I believe the Holy Spirit was saying to me, <laughs> just during worship, I felt the Lord was saying to me, he's going to use my voice today as a whip to drive the oppressor away from your life that has been trying to oppress you and keep you back from, come on, help me bring it in today. He's trying to keep you back from everything God has, but I just declare the oppressor is being driven away in the name of Jesus. Will you help me hiss the enemy away by the clapping of your hands and the declaration today that he is awakening something within us? Sometimes I say that phrase as if everybody understands it, but it's, jo it's Job chapter 27 where it says that I will hiss the enemy away by the clapping of my hands. And your worship to the Lord is more than just adoration to God. It drives the devil crazy. So in your deepest 
pain, bring your greatest praise, and it drives the enemy far from your camp, from your household. So I want us to see the soldier, and we're going to take a look at these components, and his picture's going to pop up here, and we'll reference it in a, very, in a variety of ways. But here's a Roman soldier. I looked a lot to try and find a good layout picture, and this was about the best one that describes with a little bit of accuracy, because I'm going to talk about what the words are Paul used to describe. Uh, you can see the belt is not something that's prevailing or obvious, but notice the breastplate of righteousness, how, how it goes all the way up and over the shoulders. Very important that you notice this. It has overlapping metal. It's portions of metal. It's not one solid piece because it has to have mobility and movement for the warrior. So you can see the, the components of that. And then the sandals of peace you can see down on his feet, which we'll take a look at uh, in just a little bit. But recognize, very important that you understand this, a Roman soldier had incredible confidence. How many of you know when you're right with God, you have incredible confidence? The fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. Have you ever heard that verse of Scripture? I'm declaring the fear of the Lord today is awakening a deeper, greater confidence in the body of Christ. A Roman soldier, when Paul used the Roman soldier to express this analogy, he was trying to communicate some very specific things that God was ordaining a conversation to take place. It was a huge honor for somebody to become a Roman soldier in his day. An amazing honor. This was a very powerful person in society with very few limitations. You understand, this is, this is the analogy that God wants to use to help us understand what it is to be a warrior in his kingdom. And he says, Paul says, stand firm. Having done everything to stand, stand firm then. That word that translates stand firm is a really interesting word and it has very significant meaning. It gives the idea of a soldier representing the king with his shoulders back and his head held high with a great confidence walking into circumstances and situation, bringing the order of the king into any chaos and disorder that might exist. Do you understand that's who you are? In your personal life, where there is chaos, disorder, a spirit of divorce tries to invade our lives, our thinking, our workplace, our, our, our families, our neighborhood, whatever that looks like, our church, division and a divisive chaos is broken. When the warriors, the soldiers of the king, throw their shoulders back, hold their head high, and walk in knowing who they are in Christ Jesus, that's who we are. We are warriors clothed in Christ with absolute confidence when we are right with God through Christ, and in this we find peace. Are you at peace with God? Are we good? I'm going to ask you that. If you right now look up and say, are we good? Where are you? And I have a great assumption that a vast number of Christians in the world we live in today do not answer that question correctly because they are so focused on their lack of accomplishment or bad behavior. And I just want to tell you something. I know this will, this will rock you, this will shock you. But this relationship has more to do with his blood than your behavior ever, ever. Come on. It's amazing.
Righteousness and peace go hand in hand. Righteousness and peace, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace. So that overlapping metal, this is what's amazing. And, and, and God's just about to give you a download of revelation that's going to activate something of your anointing. And God is using my voice as a whip to drive the oppressor away who's been holding you under his thumb, keeping you from rising up and being all God's called you to be with absolute expectation. You're anointed to destroy yokes of bondage. You're, you're anointed to replenish situations that look too far gone. You are anointed to replenish situations that look too far gone. They are not too far gone. God is able. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. Some people say, as long as there's breath in your body, there's hope with God. I just want you to know we serve a God. Even if there's not breath in your body, he can call you back from the dead. He is a God of the miraculous. This overlapping metal, this is very interesting because the mature experienced warrior is a warrior who had worn his his armor and this warrior had walked and moved and maneuvered and what happens to overlapping metal when it keeps moving and jostling it starts to get an incredible incredibly brilliant luster and shine as a result of those two pieces of metal all over the breastplate of righteousness shoulders as well it becomes very brilliant as a, sh- as a shine. This is vital for us to understand something God is wanting to reveal by giving us this analogy. Legions of soldiers walking toward the enemy in a, in a constant state of unity, very important, in a constant state of unity would produce an awesome glare that was a reflection of light that would blind the enemy. Come on, your righteousness is not just a defensive mechanism, it is an offensive weapon. It's the reflection of his love and his life and his light that blinds. Come on, somebody, help me. It blinds the enemy. It blinds the enemy. This is powerful. If there's one thing the enemy does not want you to believe in or understand, it is the righteousness that God has given you so that you might rise up and be a true reflection of his love and his life and his light to your world. The devil easily immobilizes the mind and the emotions of immature believers who have not been trained or equipped in this revelation of righteousness. They become easy prey, living in a constant state of self-condemnation, robbing them of any peace righteousness and peace, and any confidence they might have. God's having a conversation with us today. If you allow the enemy to do so, he will victimize you to the point that you no longer pray with any confidence at all. You find yourself in a beggar's frame of mind before God, just hoping something good will happen. You are reducing yourself because of condemnation to the status of a slave when he's called you more than that out of slavery into not just servanthood, but sonship. Sonship. You have rights. 
You have authority. You have dominion. You have confidence. You have strength. You have life. There's something in you. You approach the throne room of God boldly. You approach the throne room of God with confidence. When I'm praying and asking God for something to take place, I'm not begging for God to do that. I'm standing with a certain disposition of confidence and authority because I am who he says I am, and I will do what he says I will do, and the great I am will do what he says he will do. And when we work together, his kingdom begins to expand his kingdom the devil tries to tell you that you'll never be good enough the devil tries to tell some of y'all right now I'm just using the voice the whip to destroy this 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 oppressor that's been in your life some of you right now I can see it spiritually your mouths are open your eyes are open your ears are open you're hearing something that you've needed to hear for a long time that you might wake up to the truth and the reality and the revelation of what God has already done for your life and the enemy will say you'll never be used by God but according to scripture, stand firm, shoulders back, head high, confident before the Lord your God. You are the righteousness of God. (laughs) See, what I just said is beyond our logical comprehension. You're the righteousness of God. You know, when I was in high school, I was a pill for my teachers. We still use that term. Looking for some millennials to affirm me. Just doing that. (laughs) I was troubled. The teachers talked about me. And uh, when they found out they were going to have me in their class, uh, they were not happy about that. And and I, I mean, it was just that I'm animated and I'm out of control. And like I said, I probably need medication. And, and, and I was in these classes just constantly. I would stir up trouble in this corner until the teacher's attention would get. And then I would realize teacher's attention there. And I would go stir up corner, you know, trouble in this corner. And, and I mean, I was just constantly, you know, stirring it up. Stirring it. It's part of my gift. I'm in here right now stirring it up, stirring it up. It was just my gift trying to show up prematurely and not, you know, not developed it. And so that was kind of my mode. And this one particular teacher, her name was Joyce Chisholm. And, and Ms. Chisholm, she, uh, she took an interest in me. And she began to call something of, of greatness out of me just in a, in a conversation in the beginning of the year. It was in my ninth grade year in high school. And, 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 and she just started, I could tell she saw something in me I didn't even see in myself. And something really remarkable began to happen in the course of that year. I started living up to a higher standard that she was calling out of me that I never even knew existed. She started telling me that I was smart. I had never been told I was smart, especially not by a teacher. I mean, my mom did, but your mom always lies, you know, tells you stuff. And so, I mean, here, this teacher like started calling out of me that I was smart. And I thought, I'm not sure I even know what that means. You know, I mean, I'm smart, me. And then she told me like, you're handsome. And I was like, I've never had any teacher tell me. I didn't think I was handsome at all. First, you know, I was deeply insecure. Oh, sorry, mom. I called you a liar. I love you. Uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I was deeply insecure in the way that I that I was, you know, just my disposition. And, and part of that's why I was so much of a problem because I had 
all this inferiority and all this insecurity, and I was covering up with trying to joke and deflect, and, and, and I wasn't addressing, you know, from any mature perspective. And Miss Chisholm started calling these things out of me when she said I was handsome. I remember going home that night and, like, taking a shower and, and thinking about what clothes I was going to wear and what did my hair look like. I mean, those were things that I hadn't really thought that much about. And all of a sudden, this, the, the teachers, the, the students in the class started calling me teacher's pet. I mean, I had never been called teacher's pet. This was awesome. And she would, you know, give her a lesson, and then she would say, does anybody need any help understanding? And then she would say, Lawrence, are you okay? And, and, and literally would call me out in front of the class, and then she would say, I'm going to go around and just check and make sure your work's okay. And she would walk over to my desk first, and I had this crush going on with Ms. Chisholm, and, and Chanel, number five, was her I smelled it, and when, when Tracy and I got married, I told her all this, and I said, can I get you some Chanel number five? <laughs> can I call you Miss Chisholm? <laughs> That's just a joke, really bad one. I'll be in trouble for that later. <laughs> but it was just the wildest experience. There was stuff in me I did not know existed. And she called it out of me to awaken something powerful God wanted to do. You know, a few years ago, Ms. Chisholm came. She drove three and a half hours to sit on this front row. And we honored her that morning as one of the most influential people in my life. And if there's ever been somebody that demonstrated who Jesus wanted to be in my life before I really knew who Jesus was, it was that woman. And if there's ever somebody that wants to reach into your life right now and call greatness out of you that you don't even know exists within you, it's Jesus. And he can do that in this moment in time if you'll allow him to do so. But what you have to understand is you are in the kingdom of God, the teacher's pet. You need to understand this. You're not just, are we good? Now, I want to ask this question. How righteous is God? Like, totally. Right? He's totally righteous. How righteous are you? See, there's the great divide between this question that I would ask. We good? Jesus didn't die so you could be good. Jesus didn't die so you could be right. Jesus didn't die so you could be righteous. I want you to hear the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. First, religion has told you Jesus died for your sins. That's not the complete truth. He didn't die for your sin. He became your sin and surrendered to death on a cross to destroy your sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become good. Nope. That we might become righteous. Nope. That we might become the very righteousness of God. How righteous is God? Here we are. We are the righteousness of God. Throw your head back. Come on, lift up your countenance and know who you are. Let the confidence of God be established in your life. You are, you are, you are, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Be free, be liberated, be everything God's called you to be. Don't 
give up. Don't give in. Keep walking. Keep walking. And when you grow weary, keep walking. And when you're in a struggle, keep walking. And as you keep walking, your breastplate of righteousness will keep developing a greater brilliant luster that attracts the attention of God and blinds the enemy from destroying your life and taking away from you anything God says is yours. Moments of question are going to come, and when you look in the mirror, you are going to see what you have done. But when God looks at you, he will see what he has done. You're the righteousness of God. You're not chosen because you're gifted. You're chosen because you're loved. You want to write that in? You're not chosen because you're gifted. You're chosen because you're loved. Keep walking. Keep walking. The more you walk, even when you're discouraged, you become more beautiful to the eyes of God. And you become more blinding to the eyes of the devil. I'm breaking condemnation off of you today. If you are standing today in a revelation of his righteousness that you did not stand in before you walked in this room, I want you to stand to your feet and let condemnation be broken off of you right now. In Jesus' name. We just receive it. We receive it. We receive it now. In the name of Jesus. Just come on. A little deeper. A little deeper. A little more. We're declaring the enemy is a liar. He is a liar. God's word is true. His spirit is talking to us today. We didn't show up to have a church service. We came together to encounter God. He's having a conversation. He's awakening something within us that's going to take us deeper in the places of our relationship with God, places of confidence and places of prayer and intercession in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, let's all just stand together. I want you to download our app and get our blog, destinychristian.com forward slash app. I have a lot more about the, the, the righteous element that I'm talking about on the blog, and I'm not even going to get to touch hardly at all on the sandals of peace. But I want you to see the sandals of peace. I've got this picture of them, and I just want you to understand this in the sandals of peace. When, once you know you're right with God, we good? Then I'm at peace and at rest. In the sandals of peace, you'll notice these Roman soldiers didn't wear sandals like you and I might wear sandals. The sandals of peace that Paul is referencing, these sandals had spikes anywhere from one to three inches long. These are warrior shoes. They, they bring dread to any adversary when Roman soldiers would come into the mix. One swipe of their foot with those sandals could be a lethal blow to an adversarial individual. Your peace is really important, and your peace comes as a result of righteousness. Do you see the progression here? It was the belt of truth that awakened righteousness of Christ that gave you peace to stand strong, to have your feet planted. 
When the peace of God is in operation in your life, it's like spikes on the bottom of your feet that hold you in place. Having done everything to stand, stand firm then. You will not move me when I know who I am in Christ Jesus. You might throw everything at me, but you will not move me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will prevail. And when I know we're good, I can stand strong. Psalm 62, 2 says, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. I want to clothe you in that today. He alone is your rock and your salvation. He is your fortress. You will never be shaken. You will never be shaken. Your feet are planted firm. No matter what comes your way, your feet are planted firm. You are immovable and shakable because of who you are in him. There is no mountain too high for you to conquer. There is no Goliath too great to fall. There is no situation. There is no situation you have been facing that has the power to take you down. If you rise up, throw your shoulders back, lift up your head, hold your head high. You are good and you are strong and you are full of God's peace. Are we good? Are we good? Are we good? This week, I want to ask you to have communion. As you take communion, I want you to say, we are so good. There's communion at the back of the center section. We're going to enter into just a few moments of worship. As we do that, I invite you to find your way back there if you'd like to do that now. But I want to ask you this week, have communion. And when you have communion, I, I want you just to, we are so good. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's not about my behavior. It's about your blood. Some of y'all need to hear me say that again. It is not about my behavior. It's about the blood of Jesus. Yes. Are we good? And, and not only am I asking you this week individually have communion, but I want to invite you to have communion with others this week. This should be a normal part of our rhythm in our life. We want to have communion with others. We're good. We're good. We're good, and we're good.